We're going to talk about the letter to the church of Smyrna. This is the persecuted church. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. If you would, stand for reading of God's word. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which are about which are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. This is the word of God. Please be seated. The persecuted church, the suffering church, this church was predominant between 100 and 313 A.D. They, they experienced Roman persecution. Now, I want to suggest to you, remember these churches are all in Turkey, all in, all in Asia, Asia Minor, and they all represent churches throughout the epochs of time. The following points are covered in each church. The destination, the messenger and the congregation are the destination. Now, the messenger is either an angel or the pastor of the church. Each church addresses the angel and the congregation, or the, or the pastor. There's a description of Jesus taken from chapter 1. It's the glorified Jesus, something specific about the glorified Jesus that is specific for each one of those churches. Each one of them has a commendation, what the church does well, a condemnation, what the church doesn't do well, an exhortation or an encouragement specific to that church, and then a promise to each individual that they can expect something if they overcome the thing that is unique to that church, to that body. Now, last week we talked about the problem with the church of Ephesus, which was the apostolic church. It was the one right out of the chute, which in very short order, they lost their first love. They had everything good going for them. They had great works, said they had a labor of love, they were patient, they didn't put up with evil or the false teachers or the false apostles. They hated the Nicolaitans, which was interesting. Nicolaitans means rule over the laity. They hated, they despised the, the hierarchy that some churches have where someone is extolled more than they should be extolled, and they rule over the masses. Look at there's no pastor that should be ruled, that it should be get the accolades, no bishop, no pope, no human should get the accolades. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, he's the head of the church not any human being. They address the false apostles, which is significant. We have false apostles today. And remember, the 12 apostles were the apostles of Christ. There's only 12. There are people today that believe in, in apostolic succession. No, there's not apostolic succession. The last apostle was Paul. He was the last one that was recognized an apostle. After that, God has raised up pastor, teachers, elders, a plurality of elders to lead his church, not apostolic succession. To be an apostle of Christ, you had to be called by him personally, confirmed by signs and wonders, and you had to have seen the resurrected Christ, and folks, no one has done that today. They might claim they have, but they have not done that today. Herod, when he killed James, there was not, in Acts chapter 12, verse 2, there was not another apostle that was pointed after James, James suffered. Uh, brutally at the hands of, of uh, Herod. We raise up a plurality of elders to protect the church. 
Now, the big problem with this church is, as I've already mentioned, they left their first love. They had all kinds of things that they were doing. Busy church, busy life, busy everything, doing all these great, wonderful things. But they neglected their relationship with Jesus. They left. They, and remember, the word was dismissed. They dismissed Jesus from their life. They sent him away from their lives. And I use, the, use the, the, the emphasis on drifting, how we drift away from Christ so easily. And the cure for drifting is, for any human being, is to keep Jesus Christ central. Keep him central in your lives. Remember, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they will follow me in John 10, 27. There's a psalm, Psalm 16, 8, that says this. I have set the Lord always before me. When he is at my right hand, I will not be moved. When I set the Lord always before me, I will not drift. I will not dismiss my God. He was always before me. Remember the Shema in, in, in Deuteronomy 6, for hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might, with all of your strength, all of the alls in there. When you do that, you will not drift. Jesus will not become secondary. You will not lose your first love. Now, we also talked about today that there's, a, there's indoctrination in our culture, I've mentioned it many, many times, that is encouraging people to walk away or to lure them away or to keep them busy and occupied, distracted and deceived. Folks, keep Jesus central and you won't drift. And then there was a promise to overcomers, those who eat of the tree of life. Remember we mentioned the tree of life. It's, 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 it's fullness of life now, but it's eternal life forever and ever and ever with God. There's actually a tree of life in heaven. I don't know how the whole thing works. I think you're going to love the fruit. And I can imagine it's probably going to be different all the time because God is so creative. It's, it'll be different and lush and just dripping down your chin. and just Yeah. It's not like when you get those big, huge oranges from Sam's Club, and you think this is going to be great, and you cut it open, and it's all dried up, and you're going, oh, man. Ugh. Folks, do not leave your first love. So this week, we're going to talk about the Church of Smyrna, the persecuted church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Thank you for the people that you have brought here today specifically to hear this word. There's no accidents with you, Lord. You are sovereign. You move in the hearts of minds of your people. You have brought us here for such a time as this. Help us to hear from you today the things you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the Church of Samaria. Remember, these are seven churches in Asia. And we said that they existed in a clockwise manner. And we have the map here expressing a passage of time. So this is like a clock. And Ephesus was the first one. And as a couple hundred years went by, then the persecuted church became predominant. And then a few hundred years later, the compromised church became predominant. And then Thyatira is the corrupt church. Sardis is the dead church. Philadelphia is the faithful church. And Laodicea is the last church that predominates before Jesus comes back. Now, the churches represent specific churches that dominated during a specific period of time. The church of Ephesus was the apostolic church. Smyrna is the persecuted church. And he gives these years here from 313 to 600. This is actually when the church became married to the state under Constantine. Constantine was a Roman emperor. He gave favor to the, to the Christians. And this is how we developed the, 
the, the church that was, was married to the state, the Church of England, the Church of, uh, of different countries, Sweden, and that sort of thing. Thyatira would be that the Catholic Church became predominant. And then you have the Reformation, 1517, the Church of Sardis. And notice when we get to the Church of Sardis, it is called the Dead Church. It's interesting. They had the Reformation, a lot of great things, but it was still looked at as the Dead Church. And then finally, the Philadelphia Church as the faithful church went from the mid-1600s to 1900. This was the great missionary movement. And then now we are living from 1900 to today where more and more and more apostasy and falling away from the faith is occurring. Now, it isn't that there are still churches that aren't the faithful church that exists today, but the predominant way that Christianity is going is in that clockwise manner. Because there's still a church today that is becoming more and more predominant in our world that won't dominate the world. It's the persecuted church. The persecuted church, the church of Smyrna. We know today that there are still many, many churches that are persecuted, or people that are persecuted in our, in our world today. We're going to talk about that more in just a second. So think about this. Sometimes the church is called on to suffer for their faith. Now, we don't experience that here a whole lot, but it, believe me, throughout the rest of the world we do, and you're going to see that more in just a second. Jesus gives these folks in particular, how would he like Jesus to show up here? First of all, we'd all just pass out. But anyway, if he showed up here and says, by the way, you're going to really suffer very soon for your faith, and many of you are going to die for your faith. He's giving them a heads up. This is going to, what's going to happen. He says that in verse 10. Jesus knew that persecution was right before their eyes, and he's encouraging these people to stand up. In verse 8, we see the destination and the meaning. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. It's very important. When you're going to be persecuted, you want to know that Jesus died, rose again from the dead, and because he lives, you too will live. Again, more on that in just a second. So the destination is the messenger, whether that's the angel or the pastor of the church, but definitely it's the congregation. It is that group of people that are going to be experiencing this persecution. God wants them to know what's coming. And remember, the pastor, the elders, were responsible for leading this church. They were to be the ones that were out front in this church. The pastor shepherd is out front, guiding, guarding, feeding the, the flock. The pastor's job is not to drive the flock. The pastor's job is not to flog the flock every week. Oh, give more money. We need money. Yes. Exploit the flock or ignore the flock. It isn't, and a pastor isn't better than the flock. Just part of the body of Christ using their spiritual gift in the way that God has given it to him. So the city of Smyrna, what was it like? Well, Smyrna means bitter. Bitter. It comes from the root word myrrh. And it's associated with death and embalming. Remember when Jesus died? He had a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloe that he was encased in before he was resurrected. Now, you try getting yourself out of a hundred pound mummy wrap. I mean, Jesus resurrected. He just bursted right through all that stuff when he was resurrected. That's just a side note. So this church was going to suffer. Their name was appropriate for them. The city of Smyrna was a wealthy city, second only to Ephesus. And by the way, Ephesus doesn't exist today. Remember we said that? But Smyrna does. Smyrna does. It's a city of about 200,000 people. It's called Ismer today in Turkey. 
And there are few Christians that are still there today. Christianity has been almost excluded from Turkey. And it was so popular at one time. So popular. Smyrna is mentioned in the scripture. It is only mentioned here in the scriptures, but in other literature, we know that it, it was extremely wicked, and they had extreme opposition to Christianity. They hated Christians in Smyrna. So, a lesson to know. In the face of immense persecution, folks, there are those who will stand. Smyrna gives witness to that. In the midst of extreme persecution, there are still those who will not give in, who will not quit, and who will continue to stand. Now, how in the world does anyone do that? You do that, do you think, because you're just a strong Christian person? You're gonna... No, you do it by the Holy Spirit's power. You have to draw power from him. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, including persecuted areas like Smyrna and the other parts of this world today that are under persecution. These people had backbones of steel. They had the Holy Spirit rod of iron up their spine. Remember this, the ability to stand is a God-given strength thing. It is not something that we do on our own. Just a little bit of history for you. And I don't know if you know this or not. This is a did-you-know question. Did you know that there's been between 70 to 100 million Christians over the ages that have died for their faith? 70 to 100 million, most of them from communist and fascist governments and religious zealots like Islam and Hinduism. Most of them from those sources. In the 21st century, there's roughly 100 to 150,000 Christians that are killed each year. There's been a million Christians been martyred since 2000. The Ten countries that are most extreme. Number one is North Korea. What is their government? Communism. Atheistic communism, and they slaughter their people worse than any place else on earth. But the next nine are all Islamic. Somalia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Sudan, Syria, Iraq, Iran, Yemen, and Etria. Folks, when we see on our bumper sticker, coexist, do you think there's any coexistence in these nations? If you whisper the name of Jesus, they want to put an end to your life. There's no coexist. Islam demands you capitulate or you die. And if you were to have a map of the world, you would see on that world the 1040 window where these Islamic communist countries dominate and where the people are the most oppressed and where they suffer the most for their Christian faith and where there's the fewest number of Christians. Folks, there's a true church out there that'll stand. There's a genocide of Christians in our world today that is not reported in the media. How often do you hear this reported in the media, these hundreds of thousands that are dying each year? You don't hear this. Very, very infrequently is it reported in the media. We simply don't hear this in the West. And we don't want to think about it because the more majority of people in the West want to think about how great and wonderful we have it. Look, at we have the coronavirus that's going on now, okay? Big thing about the coronavirus is what's going to happen to our 401k? What's going to happen to our jobs? What's going to happen to our my future. It's all me-directed. The majority of folks, particularly in the church today, the churches that are really popular is health, wealth, and your best life now. 
Don't tell me anything about persecution. I don't want to hear anything about that depressing stuff. Folks, it's happening in our world. And it's happening to brothers and sisters commonly in our world today. These people will suffer. But guess what? The true church that stands through this, they will do just about anything to meet together. They will do anything. They will travel miles. They will travel through inclement weather. They will meet in hostile environments. They'll meet in places that are uncomfortable. And they'll do just about anything they can do to get the word of God, and they treasure it. You will never see this on some shelf someplace with dust six inches thick in some persecuted Christian place. You need this word in order to survive. In the cupcake Christianity America, we see these all over the place, and they're rarely read. Rarely read the Word of God. Folks, to be publicly baptized, you're going to sacrifice your family, your jobs, your life, and who knows what else, because you've made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus told us. He told us very specifically in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He said this. He said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. What, is, what in the world does that mean? Take up your cross daily and follow me. Well, it means this. It's a death to my desires, my will, and my way. It's your way, Jesus. What do you want me to do? It's not about my comfort. It really isn't. It's to die to the self-life. And folks, this is not a Western concept. Again, the Western concept is all about me. Health, wealth, my best life now, and you can fill stadiums. But if you talk about denying yourself, oh, man, I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to hear about that. That might be for the church down the road. That's not for us. We don't believe, you know. That's what Jesus expects of us. Notice what, these, what Jesus says to these amazing saints. He gives a description of the saints. Again, in verse 8, he says this. He says, I'm the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Folks, there's some must-know information that we need in order to survive persecution, to survive suffering. We might not per be persecuted, but we all are suffering to some extent. Right now, we have a great number of people that are at home right now suffering, and they half of them, if I would get what my wife has, I would think I was dying. I would be on the prayer chain. I'd be on, oh, anoint me. Anoint me right now, because I'm, I'm checking out, okay? Yeah. A must-know when you're facing some sort of suffering is this. Those facing imminent death or persecution or suffering, a must-know is this. Jesus overcame death, and so will I, because he promised that. A must-know information. People know what it means to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You ask anybody in North Korea, they know that. They know that, that, that verse. A must-know is this. Secondly, it's all temporary, folks, and they actually believe this. In the persecuted, suffering church, you, get, you, you, you start to believe this, and you gain strength from knowing this, this world is not my home. It's not how much I can accumulate here. Oh, no, it's not anything about that at all. It's about where I'm going, because what does it say in Hebrews 11:13? We're aliens and strangers passing through. Guess what? It's 100%. We're all passing through. We all will go through that process of passing from here. Paul said this in Philippians 1.20. And remember, Paul was very acquainted with the threats of death, very acquainted with being beaten, 
He was beaten multiple times with rods and, and whips, and he was shipwrecked. He was stoned and left for dead. He was bitten by a snake. He knows what suffering is. He says this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed. Hear what Paul, I will no way be ashamed as I'm going through this process because I represent my king and I want to represent him with excellence. I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, comes from the Spirit, so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, no matter what I'm going through, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Paul viewed death as gain. And folks, when you're living in a persecuted church, like in North Korea, you must view your passing as gain. You will, you will view it that way. It'll help you to stand. Folks, their vertical focus on God allowed them to overcome the horizontal focus of the mess that we live in here on earth. Every person in this room has some struggle they're going through, some mess. And our vertical view will help us with this horizontal thing called life on earth. And another must-know is this. Key to any stressful situation, anything, whether it's persecution, whether your finances, relational, whatever it is, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Remember there's a song, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the power and the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Remember, he's eternal God. He is sovereign. He is in control. He is in charge, and he is for you. He is with you through this whole thing. And he promised to get us home safely. Remember John 14, 1 and 3? In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you so. And I go to prepare a place for you. Put your name there. I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you so. And he says, I'm going to come back for you. I'm going to take you to Father's house that you can be with me forever. That's his promise to us. He gives us a guarantee. Guarantee to his disciples who he knows are going to suffer. Most of them died for their faith except John. They tried to kill him. He says in John 14, 19, because I live, you'll live also. Folk, we, we need to know this and we need to believe it. Because I live, you will live also. A must-know for this is this. Listen to the psalmist, how he puts it. Psalm 116.15. Precious. Listen to this. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The Hebrew word is yakar, and it means bright and clear and honorable. I wrote the, the Greek on there. It's from the Septuagint, the Greek Septuagint, the translation of the Old Testament in Greek. It's timios, and I love this definition. Held in honor. Your passing before God is held in honor if you're a believer. Esteemed, especially dear, and guess what? Very costly. It costs God everything for your life. He paid the price very costly. You folks are dearly loved. We are dearly loved, and when we pass, it is precious, precious, precious to God. That's a good thing to know. That's a good thing to know. The Church of Smyrna knew this. They were overcomers. They were victors. And they were the ones that were able to say, when you get to this level of your faith, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Because we know that that person that has passed is not dead. They are more alive than they have ever been. 
That is the victory that Jesus Christ has gotten for us over the grave. Folks, this is a good thing. Good thing. Verse 9, there's a commendation. They were commended for their works and that sort of thing. Verse 9, I know your works, your tribulation and poverty. And then he says, but you are rich. The whole world looked at him this way. Your poverty, but you are rich in God's sight. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of a synagogue of Satan. In the world's eyes, they were poor. In God's eyes, they were rich. Oh, how God looks at things differently than man does. I'll tell you, I am very happy of that. So, when you talk about they were commended for their, their poverty, most people go, what do you mean by that? There's nobody that you see teaching today, any place, that looks at that as a commendation. Your poverty. No place. When we talk about poverty, it means just what it says. The idea is having nothing of being destitute. Nothing being destitute. These people, listen to this, they were forced out of their jobs. They had their property confiscated. Why was that? Because of this. They would not bow to the state. They would not bow to Caesar and say, Caesar is Lord. Listen to this. What, somebody wrote this about what was happening at this time. Rome instituted a law that said the state had to be first loyalty. See, Rome didn't have any problem with you worshiping whatever gods you wanted to worship as long as you put Rome first and you pledged allegiance to Caesar. Once a year, a citizen had to proclaim loyalty to Rome and declare in a, in a public forum before a public official, Caesar is Lord. A Christian could not do that. Therefore, these people suffered immensely because they would not say, Caesar is Lord. You understand the, the difficulty in doing this. You can see everybody in the line, oh, just go up there and just say, just say it real soft, you know, just say it real fast. Caesar's Lord. Caesar's Lord. And then you can just go about worship God the way you want. No, they wouldn't do this. They would not compromise. They would not say Caesar is Lord because Jesus Christ is Lord. And folks, this is not an idle threat. This is not an idle threat today. Think about this. If you get the wrong president, and you get the wrong Congress, and you get the wrong Supreme Court, don't think that what we are talking about here won't be considered hate speech. And you will be sanctioned by the state. And who knows what will happen to you. Folks, this is a picture of what's going to happen in the future. Antichrist is going to insist. Remember, we did a lot of study on him in the book of Daniel. He's going to insist on loyalty. So much so that you take a mark to declare loyalty to him. The true believers, folks, cannot, must not, pledge allegiance to Antichrist or the government or anybody over the true God. We must not do that. Acts 5.29, Peter faced this thing, and he said very clearly, we ought to obey God rather than man. Nothing equivocal here. Nothing equivocal. We must obey God rather than men. Now, Satan's methodology is really clear. Really clear. Whenever he can, he will persecute people. He'll persecute the church. He'll try to kill as many as he can. When he cannot persecute, then he goes into plan two, which is deceive and distract. 
deceive and distract, keep you off the off your game, keep you away from God, keep you busy in whatever else that you want to be busy in, but you don't want to get close to Jesus. That's what his plan is. The persecutors were the Jews of the synagogue of Satan. They, they, they thought that they were following God, but they were persecuting the people of God. Again, why are true Christians persecuted in the world today? Why are they persecuted? We're not overthrowing governments. You don't see Christians murdering people. They're persecuted for simply believing that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is why we get persecuted. That's why the world hates us today. And remember this, in any body, there's a leadership. The pastor, teacher, the shepherd of the flock, the elders of the flock are to be the ones out front. Folks, in the Chinese church, there are Chinese pastors that are in prison simply for preaching the word. In the Iranian church, in the Pakistan church, in the Russian church, this has happened today that you are thrown in prison for this. In this small church, the church of Smyrna, there was a pastor named Polycarp. And you guys are familiar with him. This might be a review for most of you, but Polycarp was this. Polycarp was the bishop. He was the overseer of Smyrna. And he was arrested on this charge, the charge of being a Christian. You're arrested for that. And you're part of a politically dangerous cult whose rapid growth needed to be stopped. In the midst of an angry mob, it says here, that the Roman proconsul took pity on this gentle old man and urged Polycarp to simply say, Caesar is Lord. Just say the words, Polycarp, and I won't have to kill you. Just say, Caesar is Lord. If only Polycarp would make this declaration and give a small little pinch of incense to the Caesar God, then he could escape torture. You know what Polycarp said? Most of you know. It's so great. He says, 86 years I have served Christ, and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Steadfast in his stand for Christ, Polycarp refused to compromise his belief, and he was burned alive at the stake. And the, and the, the history goes is that they try to bind him to the stake, and he says, no, you don't have to bind me. And he stood there, and they tried to kill him with the fire, and the fire went out. And finally, they heaped up more things, and the fire started to blaze. And then they stabbed him, and he burned to death, and he never recanted. How did he do that? How did he do that? How can we stand this type of pressure? How can anybody stand this type of pressure? See, it's easy now on the outside to look at this and say, oh, I could be a polycarp. Oh, really? You're not going to be a polycarp unless you are dwelling in Christ. I can tell you that. How could polycarp face this? Folks, it's this. It's God's miracle in us for the impossible. For the impossible. Jesus said very specifically, he knew what his disciples were going to go through. You know, he's God. He could see. He knew exactly what, he, what they were going to go through. In Luke 12, 11, he said this, when they deliver you up, just a heads up from Jesus. By the way, Peter, James, John, Matthew, Thomas, all those, they're going to deliver you up, and you're going to suffer, and you're going to die for me. He said this, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you are to say. In that very hour, folks, in Zechariah 4.6, tells us this about Zerubbabel. 
Zerubbabel was given the responsibility of rebuilding the temple after Babylon destroyed the whole thing. And the Jews were coming back from, from Babylon and from Persia captivity. And God said, I want you to build this temple. And he says, I can't do it. And God gave him this word, not by might, nor by power. Not by my might or my power. Oh, no, it's God's power. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That's how you stand. The Lord of hosts is Jehovah Sabaoth. The God of armies will give you the strength to stand when you cannot stand on your own. Look at, there's church persecution. There's things we suffer in our lives. There's things that might just bring us right to our knees in our own lives. We feel like we can't take another step. Jehovah Sabaoth, the God of armies, will hold us up and allow us to stand through the mess that we're living through, even here. He is with us. The next thing we want to talk about, the condemnation that this church had, and it was none. They had no condemnation. The only other church that had no, no condemnation was the church of Philadelphia. The exhortation. The exhortation is in verse 10. Now, after, after they've been told you're going to have tribulation and you're going to, have all the, you're going to be dying, and do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Do not fear. By the way, that's an imperative. That's a command. That is how we are to conduct our lives no matter what's coming into our lives. Do not fear. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, God's cry to everyone in this room, that everyone is part of the body of Christ, everyone that claims the name of Jesus Christ, is do not fear. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. And you know what it actually means? It actually says in the, in the Greek, stop being afraid, exclamation point. Stop being afraid, exclamation point. Jesus is giving these folks a heads up, and their whole world is going to cave in. And it's good to know a few things about suffering to stop being afraid. Know this, that this suffering in particular was from the devil, not God. And that word suffer was the word pasco, P-A-S-C-H-O, and it means to experience something evil. And remember this, God tests us to test our mettle, to test our faithfulness, to make us stronger. He never tests us to make us fall. He never tests with evil, James chapter 1, verse 13. But the devil sure will. And know this, and I think that you, everybody in this room has to agree with this. Oftentimes, we don't know why we suffer. Uh, why is this, Lord? You ever get to that point? Why? What's going on here? Now, there's some reasons that we suffer. We learn from Scripture. Sometimes it's to purify us. Sometimes it's to make us stronger. Sometimes it's to further His will. But folks, most of the times, we just don't know why. Romans 5.3 gives us a hint. It says this. Now, I don't know how you really do this. Because when you're going through it, this is a hard verse to deal with that we are to glory in our tribulations. You know, tribulation is thelispus, crushings, squeezings, 
suffering. We're to glory in our tribulations because it produced, tribulation produces character, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. It's got us poured out a spirit into our hearts. Folks, we need to know there's oftentimes we don't know why. But the next one is this. Know this in suffering. When you don't know why, rest in knowing that God knows why. We have to do that. We have to rest in the sovereignty of God. When something knocks on your door that is so unbelievable, you, it just knocks you right to the ground, you have to realize God knows where you are. Listen to this. Some people believe that Satan can just do whatever he wants to you. And I say, no, he cannot. Look at, look at what Satan wanted to have Peter. In Luke twenty two thirty one. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked that he may sift you as wheat. He had to ask for permission. But Jesus said, I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Jesus would give him the strength to stand up. Consider Job. Have you seen my servant Job, God says to Satan? And Satan says, oh yeah, I've seen him. I can't get at him. Chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. So Satan's answer to God is this. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge, a souk? That word hedge is souk, S-U-K, and it means a thorny hedge, an impenetrable hedge around him and his household, around all that he has on every side. We simp- Now listen to this. I believe this to be true. We simply have no idea how many times God has hedged us in and has protected us from suffering, from misery. No idea. Folks, we may not understand suffering, but one thing we do know is this. If I stay close to Jesus, he is with me in the suffering. He'll be with me through the suffering and his presence. His presence in the midst of this makes all the difference in the world. The presence of my God with me. And know this, and we learn this from this text, suffering has a time limit. It says 10 days for these folks. Now, some people believe these are 10 Caesars. Over 10 Caesars period of time. Because the Smyrna Church incorporated those 150 to 200 years over 10 Caesars. And they experienced persecution through that whole thing. But some people believe it means 10 days. 10 days is the number of the number of days that it took for a person to go through the Roman judicial system to have the verdict rendered. Know this, that those who suffer and die for their faith will receive the crown of life. And it's not, over for, not just for them. The crown of life in James 1.12 is, is promised to those who endure temptation. When we say no to Satan, we say no to the world, we say no to our flesh, and we do that and we live this thing out, we get a crown of life as though we have been martyred for our faith. That's a, that's a good thing. That's, a good, that's how much value God puts on you resisting the world, the flesh, and the devil through his strength, by the way. And finally, know this. You, you must have an eternal perspective to help you through this. And that you'll find in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, where Paul says these words. Though 
Though outside we are wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And then he says this, for our light and momentary afflictions. In the eyes of eternity, when, by the way, we will not even remember this existence, our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And he goes on to say this, while we do not look at the things which are seen, I'm not focusing on this. I'm going through the suffering. I'm focusing on him. My God is with me. See, you can either turn to God in the suffering, or you can shake your fist at God and say, why are you doing this to me, God? One or the other. One will benefit you. One will not. You think you, Which one can you guess will benefit you? <laughs> turn to him. But at the, we don't look to the things that are seen. But the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Folks, we have a God that loves us, that cares for us, that is taking us through this thing, and he will get us home safely. Listen to this. Again, I want to just emphasize this. We wonder how we could stand through some of this stuff. Uh, Sometimes I wonder how I can stand through the stuff that's just coming at me right here, right today. How am I going to stand through this? Well, we're not alone. We're in good company. Corey Ten Boom gave advice to a small congregation in Africa that were being persecuted for their faith. Some of you have heard this. Most of you maybe haven't. Now, who's Corey Ten Boom? Well, she was a survivor of Ravensbrück, which was a Nazi prison camp. She was from a Dutch family that hid Jews during World War II, and they suffered immensely for this. She says this to this small congregation in Africa. Corey was once ministering in a small African country where a new government had come to power. Just that week, the new regime had secretly and systematically put Christians to death. As the people gathered at the little church where she was to speak that Sunday, these people knew what was going on. Fear and tension were on their face. And what did Corey do? She didn't talk about how healthy and how wealthy and how great your life is going to be. She turned to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 14, and she read these words to them. And now, dear friends of mine, this is Peter speaking. This is in the Phillips translation. I beg you not to, undo, to be unduly alarmed at the fiery trials which come to test your faith, as though this were some abnormal experience. You should be glad, because it means you are called to share Christ suffering. Isn't that amazing view? One day, when he shows himself in full splendor to men, you'll be filled with the most tremendous joy. If you are reproached for being Christ followers, that is a great privilege. For you can be sure that God's spirit of glory is resting on you. How does God look at suffering and persecution for him? Just like that. God's glory is resting on those North Koreans, on those Iranians, on those Pakistanis, on those Sudanese. God's glory is resting on them. She closed her Bible, and then she shares a conversation that she had with her father, which most of you have heard, but you're going to hear it again. She said this, as when she was a little girl, noticing what the Nazis were doing to the Jews and to those who supported the Jews. 
She witnessed this, and she was in fear of how she would deal with that. She said, said one day, I'm afraid, Daddy. I'm afraid that I'll never be able to stand. I won't be strong enough to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. Tell me, her father wisely responded, when you take a trip from Harlem to Amsterdam, when do I give you the money for the ticket? Three weeks before? No, Daddy. Just before the time. Just before we get on the train. That's right, he replied. And so it is with God's strength. Our wise Father in heaven knows when you are going to need things too. Today, you do not need the strength to be a martyr. But as soon as you are called upon for the honor, for the honor of facing death for Jesus, he will supply the strength to you just in time. What a great word to tell a fearful daughter. He didn't mix it up. He didn't say, oh, pat her on the head and say, it's going to be okay. He told her the truth. Folks, God will give you the strength at the time. Stop being afraid. That is his command. Finally, the promise. The promise. Verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. God's promise to the overcomer is very clear. We won't be hurt by the second death. What in the world is the second death? Well, the second death is for unbelievers. They will end up in the lake of fire and torment, eternal separation from God. You see this in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14 and 15. All believers will experience death unless we get raptured. Okay? Now, we're all hoping we get raptured. I'm in that club. We're in that club. We want it. That's very important to us. We believe that. But if not, we will experience physical death. Folks, the believer dies once physically. It is appointed on the man once to die, and then the judgment, it says in Hebrews chapter 9.27. Unbelievers will die a second death. Revelation 20, verse 5 and 6 says this, But the rest of the dead did not live again, this is, these are the lost people, until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part of the first, that is, believers of the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. The first resurrection, folks, is for believers. The second resurrection is for unbelievers. Folks, it is an amazing blessing to be an overcomer for Jesus Christ. An overcomer is a believer. Closing, the church of Smyrna is the suffering church. Now, tell me if you don't agree with this. Now, maybe somebody in here really likes to suffer. You really enjoy it when you get sick or when something bad happens. No. Suffering is something that we naturally repel from. Do you, would you agree with that? We're repulsed by it. Folks, God did not create us to suffer and die. This was brought on by sin. Whenever you see something going on, that is abnormal, death, illness, suffering of any kind, think sin. No one wants to suffer, folks, but we all do. Why? Because we are all under the sin curse. We have all sinned, and the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Folks, we avoid suffering as best we can. Why? Because it's not natural. Suffering is not natural. It wasn't the way God created this to be. That's why we're repulsed by it. 
It's not natural. It's not part of the way we were created. The unholy trinity of Satan, sin, and death came into the world, and mankind's existence changed. From utopia to painful, distressful, and let me say this, abnormal. What we are experiencing here is the abnormal. This isn't what Christ, Christ brought. He brings life. He brings health. He brings greatness and wonderful things. Sin brought this in. Listen to this. In this fallen world, Jesus says this to those who are suffering in John 16, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In me, in the midst of all of this abnormal here on earth, we can still have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. He doesn't powder it up. He doesn't throw a little sugar candy at it and say, oh, you're never going to suffer. Oh, because you know me, everything's going to be great and wonderful. No, he says, you will suffer. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have Nikeo. I have been victorious over this world. And if I'm victorious, folks, he says, you'll be victorious. Jesus overcame this world of sin and suffering. The believer's suffering is temporary. Temporary. Remember this. This too shall end. This too shall end. The unbeliever, unfortunately, and this is so sad, is forever, forever separated from God, suffering forever without him. God sent his son into the world. Remember John 3.16. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then he says in 3.17, God did not send a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God sent a son into the world to allow the believer to transition from the abnormal of suffering and death to the normal, God's normal, of wholeness and completeness with him forever. And guess what? No more pain, no more suffering, no more abnormal. I mean, I like that. No more abnormal. I'm, I'm all for the normal, Lord. I want God's normal. God's cry to all humanity is this. The only way to come out of the abnormal of sin and death and the misery of this thing and join the normal is to receive his son as Savior. To believe his son and receive the free gift of salvation. Look at John 1.12 is so, so clear. Yet all who receive him. To those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Believe and receive the gift of salvation. Folks, every person must deal with this. Do you want to be part of the abnormal forever? Or do you want to be part of the normal forever? That doesn't seem like a tough question. Believe and receive or reject and regret. It's that simple. It's that simple. Hear the heart of God. The heart of God is for every human that was ever born. God our Savior, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. How many is all? All, thank you. And come to a knowledge of the truth. That is the heart of our God. The heart of our God. Folks, there must be a time when we come to realize this life is not about me. It is not about me. It is about him. It is about him. And I can tell you, just from experience, when I live it for him, 
He blesses me more than I could ever, ever imagine. He is the giving God. He's not the stingy God. He's not withholding from us. You'd be surprised how things kind of open up for you, kind of open up for you when you dwell in Christ. It's not going to be cupcake easy here, but it is way better with him than without him. Come what may, folks. Come what may in this life. May we strive to be our greatest for his glory. Remember this, we glorify our Lord when we stop being afraid. We become an overcomer and a victor through his strength. Let me say this again. Stop being afraid. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study this church, the church of Smyrna, the church that the rest of the world will look at in pity because they would not feel that you were blessing them because they were experiencing such awful things. But in it, these are the ones that you really blessed, that you were in their midst, that you were giving them strength to stand. Jehovah Sabaoth, the God of armies, was walking with them and allowing them to be overcomers, even in the face of neuro-persecution, Caesar-type of persecution, where they died in droves for their faith, and you gave them the rod of iron up their spines to stand through all of that. Lord, they went through much more than we can ever imagine. Lord, help us to stand through the adversity that we have here. Each one of us has something. We know that you have given us the ability to make it through this. Not just to make it through it, but to be victors in the whole thing. Help us, Lord, to walk in the things that you've given us. Help us to walk in your strength. It's the only way we can do it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I pray right now that whatever anybody is going through in this room, that you will touch them, that you'll tell them that, they're gonna, that they are okay, that you are with them, even though it might be horrible what they're going through. But this is temporary. You'll get them through. And one of these days, this will all be over, and we'll all be home. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.